0: So, uh, we are coming to the end of the series we've been in all month long, where we are talking about thriving by abiding. And we started off that series by by looking at how that happens. And thriving only happens in the Christian life by abiding in Christ. That's the only way it works. It's the only way we can experience a truly thriving Christian life. And uh, that's what we want. That's what we're we're aiming for and looking for, and that's what we want to see in our individual lives and corporately as a church body. And so, for the last few weeks, as a result of thriving uh, by abiding in Christ and being people who do that, we've considered what that means and what that results in, and we've we've looked at very very difficult steps that we all have to walk in uh, as people who abide in Christ to walk as He walked to walk the path of life that he did, to live our lives in the manner and after the pattern that he lived his life. And we've covered some very, very difficult but very necessary areas. And as we wrap up this study, we're going to look at one more final area. Area We're going to take one more step, as it were, in the footsteps and the footprints of Jesus who's gone before us. And we're going to be talking about submitting to the Father's will. That's how we're going to end this series today, submitting to the Father's will. And just like the other steps that we've taken, just like these other aspects that we've considered throughout this series the last few weeks, this is extremely difficult to consistently do uh, as as a Christian. And why it's so hard to do this, to submit to the Father's will uh, consistently, in every area of our life, um, is because we're all very much like a child who was told to come to dinner and told to sit down, but they refused. You know, they just they absolutely adamantly refused to sit down for dinner time, uh, and so after several different times of coaxing and the parents saying it's time to eat, you need to sit down and eat. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Just stood up, crossed his arms, and said, I'm not sitting down. Finally, the dad had enough, and he went over, and he set him down in the chair. Set him down on his own. He said, okay, fine. You may not want to, but you're going to sit down. You're going to stay right here, and you're not going to get up until I tell you. Been there, right, parents? <laughs> Been there. And the child's statement said, well, I... Maybe sitting down on the outside, and you know it, you finish it for me. But I'm what? Standing up on the inside, exactly. That's how we all are. Naturally, humanly speaking. We're we're like that on just about everything. It it just doesn't it doesn't take much for that rebellion to come out of each and every one of us. Uh, that's what we're born into. That's what we by default choose. Uh, and so that's something that makes it just so hard. Defiance is in our DNA, right? <laughs> Defiance is in our, our very DNA. And for many people, um, a theme song that would really accurately sum up their life would be My Way. I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. Now you have that song in your heads, some of you, many of you. Um, you'll be thinking of, of that all day long. And it's not the kind of song you want to think about over and over, but it's certainly a familiar one where Frank Frank Sinatra uh, sings a song uh, looking back over his life about all the different things that happened and all the achievements. And he says, but more, much more than this, more than any of those things, what I'm most proud of is that I did it my way. And that absolutely could sum up many, many people's lives, the way they live their whole lives, their whole pursuit in life. It's all about me, right? All about what I want, what I, what I uh, feel like I have to have, and I'm going to go at it no matter what, and, and I'm going to do it my way. No one else is going to tell me what to do and how to do it. It's all about me and what I want. Both of those attitudes or, or mindsets uh, serve as a pretty significant contrast with the way Jesus operated with the mindset that Christ had throughout his whole time here on earth and, and his whole purpose in coming. Quite the, the contrast between that and the mindset of Christ. Look at John six thirty eight. Here's what Jesus says, and, and it really sums up his whole purpose of leaving heaven and coming to earth to live his life, to minister, to serve, and to sacrifice himself. He says this, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. I've come down not to serve myself. I've, I've come down not just to, to get everything that should be by rights mine. He could have done that. He said, I've come down not to do my own will, not to pursue my own personal agenda, but the will of Him, His Father, who sent Him. And what that that means for us, and what we see certainly throughout Christ's life, throughout His whole ministry, everything He said, everything He did, is that Jesus submitted to His Father's will in all things and always by His Father's power. He submitted to His Father's will in all things, everything He did, everything He said, all the miracles He performed, all the actions He did, it was all in submission to His Father's will, and it was always by His Father's power. That's part of what we looked at um, last week with Philippians 2, that Jesus emptied Himself of all of His divine privileges and His rights. He didn't cling to it. He didn't manipulate things. He didn't use His divinity which was rightfully his, which, which he didn't cease to have. He didn't stop being God, but he didn't use that for his own personal agenda. Instead, he emptied himself, and he took on the form of a slave, and he humbled himself. Uh, we see that all through his life and his ministry, that everything he did was in submission to his father's will and in dependence on his father's power. He unconditionally loved unlovely people in submission to his Father's will and by his Father's power. He granted forgiveness to unworthy people in submission to his Father's will and by his Father's power. He put others first, humbling himself and serving them despite their arrogance and pride, and did it all in submission to his Father's will and by his Father's Power. And that's what we're called to do as well. That's what we've looked at throughout each week in this series. We talked about loving one another well in, in a Christ-like manner, the way we have been loved by Christ, in that self-sacrificing, unconditional, unending way, agape love, which we said is impossible for us. We can't bring that up in our own power, in our own ability. We can't maintain that. We talked about the need to forgive one another, not according to our own standards, or how people may or may not deserve it, but according to God's standard of forgiveness, we looked at Ephesians 4:32, which says, "Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, forgave you." And we, we talked about the fact that that was an eternal forgiveness. He forgave us a debt we could never, ever repay. So it's forgiving uh, like Christ forgave us. That's what we're called to. And then we're also called, as we looked at last week, to put others first, to consider others as more important than ourselves and put other people ahead, not just to be consumed with our own interests, but the interests of other people, not to be just consumed and occupied with our own burdens, as big as those burdens might be, but to intentionally come alongside other people and help them bear their burdens. We're to do all of those things, and in doing all those things, we're following Christ's example because that's exactly what he did. In everything he did, he did that. Jesus walked that way ahead of us, and he made that way available to us. Here's what 1 John 2.6 says, and this has been kind of the foundational text for the last few weeks, as we've considered these things, these steps that we're supposed to walk in as those who walk as Christ walked, being people who truly abide in Him. 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in Him, in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus walked this path ahead of us, loving others, forgiving others, putting others first submitting to His Father's will. He walked ahead of us, and we are to follow His lead, walking as He did. And I don't think there's a more powerful, more stunning picture of what it looks like to truly submit to the Father's will in everything, even when it's hard, even when it's not what you want to do, than the picture that is given to us with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's arrested, right before he's put on trial, before he goes to the cross. So in Matthew 26, we're, we're taken into this incredible scene where Jesus is suffering and agonizing over what is about to take place. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them, with the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This cup of of your wrath and your judgment on the sin of mankind that I am about to bear. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. This cup that's going to cause me to become sin so that they might become our righteousness. If it's possible, Father, please, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, not as I will, but as you will. Wow, wow. The Son of God, getting ready to be the Lamb of God, bearing all of our sins on Himself, knowing, knowing it would cause his father for the very first time in all of eternity up to this point to look away from his son to abandon his one and only son because he absolutely would be the sin of all of us before the father and he would bear and drink the full cup and overflowing of all the just Wrath of Almighty God on all of our sin that should have fallen on us but was about to fall on His Son. That's the cup that Jesus was willing to drink but in His humanity was begging if, it would be any, if there would be any possibility for there to be another way for this awful cup to pass from Him. And what, what Jesus And this this prayer of, of agony to His Father, what it shows us, what it reminds us of and teaches us, is that we're never guaranteed that God's will will be what we're wanting. We're never guaranteed that. And unfortunately, I think many times that's what we think is going to be the case. I think that we approach God's will that way a lot of times. In fact, there's, there's an entire segment of modern Christianity that bases its entire theology on that faulty premise and faulty logic, which says, God's will for me is always what I desire and want to happen, and as long as I believe that I'm going to have it, He will do it. He's obligated to respond to what I am am wanting in my heart of hearts. You know, if, if I will it in sincerity and full faith, then God's will is going to conform to what I will. There's an entire group of Christians that believe that to be true, even though that is never, ever guaranteed. And you don't see that in Scripture at all. We're never guaranteed that God's will will be what we're wanting. We need to, we need to get that straight and, and hold on to that because it's important uh, to, to proceed in life that way because uh, to do otherwise is to invite all sorts of, of trouble and error. We can be sure, though, that God's will will always be right. Right? It will always be good. It will always be perfect. And it will always be what we need. Always what we need. Because He's a good, good Father. And you, you know, parents, that there are many times with your children that they may really passionately want something, but you know, as one who has lived longer than them, that that's not exactly what they need in that moment. And so you love them enough to not give them what they want. Rather, your will for them as your child is to have what they need, right? And it's the same with our Father. God's will is always going to be right, and it's always going to be what we need, but it does not mean that we, it will always be what we want. Sometimes it will. I'm not saying it will never be, but I'm saying we cannot, we cannot guarantee that, and it's never going to be guaranteed. And, and we see that on display here. Here's Jesus, the suffering Savior, the Messiah who is fully man, praying as a man, as a human, please, if there's any way around this, if you can come up with another solution, please do it, because I just, I don't want this. But he didn't stay there. Amazingly, powerfully, supernaturally, he was able to say, but. I'm not resigned to my will. I'm resigned to your will. I don't want this, but I'm willing to accept it from you. Your will be done. Let your will superimpose over mine. It's incredible. And in the main storyline of the Bible, if you, if you just, if you boiled it all down to the main thread, the main storyline of the Bible, the two greatest Points of tension. There's a lot of tension points in the Bible, but the two greatest points of tension center around two gardens. It all comes down to that, really. The Garden of Gethsemane, which we just read about, is forever remembered as a place of torment and agony. And literally, the name Gethsemane means place of crushing. It was, it was an olive garden, not the restaurant. It was a true olive garden where, you know, olives were grown. And they would, they would crush the olives there. There was an, uh, an olive press, and all the oil, that olive oil, that, that sweet olive oil that, were, that was used for so many different things, uh, would flow out and then be taken and, and sold and used. So literally, Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying, is the place of crushing. Coincidence? I think not. Of course not. Jesus did everything with intentionality. And so here he is coming into this place right before he's going to the place of crushing himself, right before he is going to be crushed with the weight of our sin and the weight of the judgment on that sin. And so it's very fitting, isn't it, that he comes to this place, this garden that is a garden of crushing because he was going to be crushed for you and for me, for our sake And so the Garden of Gethsemane is forever remembered that way, a place of torment and agony for our Savior. But what took place there was a stunning act of obedience and submission by the second Adam, Jesus. Jesus actually fulfills the role that Adam was to to play, the role that he didn't fulfill jesus in his humanity as the son of man the messiah he was the second adam the true adam the one who who did not succumb to temptation but overcame it so we see the second adam in a in a stunning stunning act of obedience and submission here in this garden that was just a place of of torment and agony and the submission of jesus this awesome submission of jesus the the second adam in that garden resulted in redemption from the stunning act of disobedience and rebellion by the first Adam in the first garden, the Garden of Eden. And that garden was meant to be a place of beauty and perfection, but it was corrupted and ruined by Adam's fall. And so here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus, our great second Adam, doing what Adam didn't do and should have done submitting completely to the father's will saying not my will your will be done and he set the stage for the redemption of all that adam did and all that adam brought into to our whole existence as a direct result of adam's fall we all naturally say it's my will and i'm not moving i mean that's that's our default answer That's our natural response as human beings, and it all comes from the fall of our our first parent, Adam, who said, my will in this moment is more important than the will of God, and from that point on, we've just been doing the same thing over and over and over as human beings, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus chose willingly to say not my will, but yours be done, and I'm going to abandon my will for total submission to your will. And what we need, to, we need to get straight here and understand and remember, because it's just so incredibly powerful to realize this, is that Jesus submitted to his Father's plan as a man. This, this surrender of his will to the Father's will, this, this embracing the Father's will over his own, he did that as a man. Completely. This, this was not him making this choice as God. This was him making this choice as the God-man. This was not made in his divinity. That's what makes it so incredible. You know, we can look at this and say, well, of course Jesus chose to do this. He's God, right? We can look at that and say, I, I mean, what risk was there? He's God. Where's the significance? Of course he's going to be able to do that. But we're looking at it the wrong way if that's how we view it. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this agony that he was experiencing, and this, this torture, and this incredible choice to not cling to his will, that was made from a place of total humanity. That's how he made that choice, and that's what makes it so powerful. He didn't depend on his own divinity to do that. He depended on divine power through the Holy Spirit, but he did it as a man. And here's what that means for us. Christian, listen. That same choice and that same power is possible for us. See, that's what Jesus did. He, he walked ahead of us. He established the pattern of how to go about life. And here in the garden, in his most desperate point... His most desperate point of all of his life and all of his ministry, he decided to depend not on, on his own divine power, but as a man, a full human, to depend on the power of the Spirit to make the choice he needed to make. To depend not on his own wants and his own will, but on his Father's. To surrender not to what he wanted, but what his father had planned. And it's incredible because that means you and I can do the same exact thing. Every single time when we're faced with the choice, my will or your will, we can choose your will be done just as Jesus did, depending on the same power to do it, which is the Holy Spirit. And that's really what it all comes down to in terms of God's will. Sometimes I think we make the Father's will too hard to determine. I think we, we, we try to make it this big, mysterious, ambiguous thing. You know, like, oh, I, I wish I could know what God's will for me is, but it's just it's too big for me. It's beyond me. It's just there's too, too many things to it that I can't understand. And we make it this this big mystery, when really it's actually very simple. Here's what the Father's will is for you and for me as a Christian. I really believe this. The Father's will for every Christian is that we live in Jesus and that we live like Jesus, And certainly there are um, specific aspects, personal aspects of of God's will that will come up through life. But overall, I really think that we can summarize God's general will for every believer this way. That the Father's will for every Christian is that we live in Jesus and that we live like Jesus. We started off this series talking about living in Jesus. We said that's the only way to thrive in the Christian life, is to abide in Jesus. And that means to dwell in Him, to live life in Him, and to allow His life to live through ours. So that's living in Jesus. And then for the last several weeks, we've talked about what it means to live like Jesus, right? To love like Jesus. To forgive like Jesus. To put others first like Jesus. Now we're talking about submitting fully fully submitting to the father's will like Jesus that's that's the father's will for you and for me and here's the really good news he doesn't just will it he doesn't just call us to this he actually provides what we need to do it isn't god great I mean, he doesn't just say, here's my, my will for you. Here's my call on your life. Here's what I'm commanding you to do. Now go and do it. Good luck. <laughs> That's not what he does. He says, here's my will for you. And here's what I will for your life as my child, as one who is in my son, abiding in him. I will for you to remain in him in every part of your life. And I will for you to live like him. But I'm not going to just will it. I'm going to help you do it. I'm going to provide what you need to do it. Here's what Philippians 2.13 tells us. Here's how I know that's true. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to His good purpose. Or you could insert will there. See, it's not just up to us. We we can know without with absolute certainty that God's will for us is to live in Jesus and to live like Jesus, and, and we can see what that looks like, and we've spent now four weeks doing that, but the really, really good news, the encouraging thought for all of us is we don't have to do it on our own. You know, pursuing God's will for us in this way, living in Jesus and living like Jesus, it's not up to us. It's not up to our power or ability. It's God who, by the Spirit of God, is working in us, both to will, for for our will to come in line with His, for for us to say, yeah, I actually do desire to live that way. Yes, God, I want to live like Jesus did. That that is my will. That is my desire. So He gives us that desire, and He gives us the follow-through. He gives us the ability to actually apply it. Isn't that awesome? That's what God does for us. He works in us both to will and to do, to work, according to His good purpose, His will, His perfect will. So we've come full circle. We've come full circle. And I want you to come away knowing that your need to abide in Christ you need to live like Christ in loving others the way He loved you and forgiving others the way He forgave you and putting others first the way He put you first and submitting to the Father's will the way He submitted. All of that comes back to this promise that we just read. And, and this, a prom, this promise of God working in us to bring all this about It applies to each of those steps that we've taken together and and that we've considered throughout this series. Walking like Jesus walked, as those who really do abide in him. That promise has to be applied to every single aspect of those things that we've talked about and and every aspect of the Christian life. Knowing that we can't do it on our own, we've got to have the power of God to do it, which we have. We have it. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and for showing us what your will is for us. We, we don't have to look that far to discover or uncover what your will for us is. You've revealed it through your word, and you've, you've personified it in the person of your son and his life and his work. Thank you for his example in all the ways that he lived his life. A life of love, and a life of forgiveness, a life of servanthood, and a life of submission to your will. May that mark us, may that be true of us here in this local assembly. May it be true of us as individuals, may it be true of us as families, and may it be true of us as a church. May we be people who truly do abide in your Son, Jesus. And as we do that, we will truly thrive. And may His steps be our steps. And may we truly walk the way He walked, as those who abide in Him and thrive. By your Spirit's power, in the name of your Son, and for His name's sake, we pray. Amen.